Hi, this is Brett, and thanks for joining me today here at the Carpenters Union. You know, for every New Testament principle, there is an Old Testament picture to support that principle. Many of us would agree that learning through pictures is a very effective method of learning. Now, of all the books in the Old Testament, boy, there is none that fits this model of learning better than the book of Joshua. This book provides excellent pictures that support the New Testament principles of living the victorious Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we move ahead today in our verse-by-verse study, we're going to hammer out some details, sand down some rough edges, and nail down a better understanding of what this fantastic book has to offer for the follower of Jesus. So let's ask the Lord to open our hearts and minds and help us to apply what we will learn in chapter 1 of the book of Joshua. Amen? Amen. We begin reading in verse 1 and 2, and it says this in Joshua chapter 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, It came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. So, let's provide some details about the characters of this story. Let's start with Moses. Well, Moses is a picture or type of the law. Among many things, Moses provided guardrails and principles for the Israelites to live by. Well, similarly, the law provides guardrails and principles as well, a way to exist in our sinful state and also coexist with others in this same sinful fallen state. Moses instituted the animal sacrifices which was a means to be made righteous, but temporarily. The laws specific to the sacrifices pointed to the solution for a fallen sinful state by pointing to the sacrifice of a Messiah. And we know that Jesus was that Messiah. As it was mentioned in the New Testament, that in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Everything points to Jesus. But Moses could not bring them across the Jordan. He could not save them and bring them to the new life of victory in the promised land. Similarly, the law cannot save us nor bring us victory. That comes by another means, as we know, Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. Now, Joshua, let's talk about him. Joshua, well, his name is the Hebrew name for Jesus. And so, right out of the gates, it's important to point out that Joshua is a picture or type of Jesus, starting with his name. Now, some other things that are important to know, some some back backstory for Joshua. In Numbers 13, verse 8, uh, it was mentioned in the scripture that his name was originally Hosea, which means salvation. Later on, Moses changes his name to Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. Joshua was 
very close to Moses. There was a very good relationship there, probably a mentor-mentoree kind of relationship, something that many of us have experienced or maybe need more of in our daily lives. Um, you know, Joshua was with Moses, or I should say went part way up the mountain. When Moses went to get the law, Joshua was with him for part of the way. Uh, Joshua is also one of the 12 spies in Numbers 13, one of the 12 spies that went in to, to spy out the, the promised land. And again, it was only Joshua and Caleb, the ones who came back with a positive report, uh, whereas all the rest were doom and gloom. And we all know that um, because of that doom and gloom mindset, well, those Israelites had to wander in the sand for 40 years, uh, swatting flies, kicking sand, and eating dust. Another interesting part about Joshua, and it's outlined in Exodus chapter 17. Moses pulls Joshua aside and tells him to go down and fight the Amalekites. The story pretty much goes like this, where Joshua musters up the army and they go down to fight the Amalekites. And for any of you Bible students, it's always important to do a good investigation as to who these Amalekites were. They were very evil people. And, and the whole time while the Israelites were out there in the desert, the Amalekites were attacking them, but they were attacking them in a, in a cowardly way. They were they were attacking them in the rear, taking out their children and their older people who were slower, just very evil. And so Joshua goes down there to go and do battle with them. And many of you know the story, right? So Moses was on the mountaintop and every time Moses would raise his hands, well then Joshua and his boys would get that surge of Holy Spirit power and they would surge forward and, and then Moses' his arms would get tired and he'd lower them and all of a sudden the Amalekites, they got their energy and they would surge back. And this, of course, would go back and forth. And finally, uh, Aaron and her realized that every time uh, Moses had his hands raised, well, then they were winning. So they, they propped Moses up on a, on a rock and they held his hands up and that basically allowed uh, the final victory for Joshua uh, to take out these Amalekites. What's interesting is after, that, uh, after those events, uh, Moses instructs uh, the scribes to write the events of this battle in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Very interesting. Reiterating to Joshua that his victory did not come from his military might and prowess and his strategy, but rather the main difference of his victory was because there was a man on the mountaintop who was praying to God and praising the Lord as well. For you Bible students, it's also worthy to point out that this happens to be the first part of the Bible put to pen. So of all the scriptures, it wasn't Genesis chapter 1, which was the first written book of the Old Testament. It happens to be Exodus here in chapter 17. Fascinating stuff. Um, incredible. Well, it also says here that, that Joshua was uh, Moses' minister. Now, let me be clear about this, that it's not like Joshua was Moses' private pastor. Uh, rather, minister here is, is another word for servant. You know, many times uh, ministers of today have um, erroneously been elevated uh, 
to an, an esteemed position. Um, and again, it's probably a little bit off from the true intent of what a servant or minister really needs to be. You know, keep in mind that the power of the Holy Spirit is given for the purposes of ministry. You know, Jesus said that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Now, let me be clear that the Holy Spirit is not meant to give us some sort of high. It's not meant to be used for selfish purposes. The power is for service. In many ways, it's, it's the steam in the, in the steam locomotive. It's, it's that power to move those passengers along and down the line, getting them to their destination. It's not just for the toot, toot, toot horn. In the New Testament, also another word for minister is uh, under rower. Now, this paints a really good picture. For many of us who might have even seen Ben-Hur, and, and Ben-Hur, of course, is uh, punished and sent to uh, those, those galleys in those Roman naval ships where they're, where they're rowing those big oars. Um, the goal, of course, for those rowers were to get the people who were where above them to their destination. Well, in many ways, this is what the ministry is. I'll take a lower position so that others may get to where they're supposed to be. So if you're asking the Holy Spirit to get you that lofty feeling or you get out of your depression, then you're going about it all the wrong way. Remember that the power, that this, this dynamite that comes uh, from, you know, from the Holy Spirit is when we are going to be his witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, moving to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, starting in our home, moving to our neighborhood, moving to our city, and moving to our state, and so on and so forth. Verse 3, continuing along, it says, Every place that your soul of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Now this is fascinating to me. What an interesting choice of words. It notes a future tense where it says your foot shall tread upon and it moves to a past tense statement have I given unto you already it's a done deal it's like the money has already been wired to your account now you just need to go and spend it wherever you choose to step out and engage the sole of your foot it is already yours it's a matter of possessing your possession. Where do you want to put your foot down? I heard a story about a man who was arrested for robbing a 7-Eleven. And he was captured after he stole about $125. What they noticed when they arrested him was this, that the pistol that he used to rob the 7-Eleven. Well, somehow, someway, he got his hands on a Civil War relic. The pistol itself was worth $23,000. So here this guy had no idea that he was holding in his hands a, 
a, a relic that was worth $23,000. So he goes and robs a 7-Eleven for a meager $125. Pretty funny. Well, this is so much like us. We settle for a few peanuts when he has already intended to give us the whole field of peanuts. It's already a done deal. Brent, I will take care of you as far as you want to go. I won't take you any further than you want to go, but just keep in mind that I always have more to offer you if you follow my lead. You know, later on, when the Israelites take possession of the Promised Land, God had outlined for them about 300,000 square miles for them to inhabit. But in the height of their status as a nation, under King Solomon's reign, they only occupied about 30,000 square miles, about 10%. In the spirit field life, we have only taken a tenth as well. Maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. Regarding the Holy Spirit, many Christians approach it this way and they say, I'm open. If the Lord wants to empower me or baptize me in this Jordan baptism, he knows my number, I'm open. It's a form of passivity that won't work. But here is the approach that the Lord would expect us to take. In Genesis chapter 8, Noah is on the ark and the floodwaters are all around and he releases a dove. Well, a, a dove is a type of the Holy Spirit. Recall Jesus' baptism, right? The Spirit descended upon him as a dove. Well, in the story there in Genesis 8, it says the dove is circling above, and, and Noah stretches out his hand and then brings the dove into himself. The Spirit is hovering above us, folks, and he is looking for that person, a people, to stretch out, reach out their arm, not be passive, but reach out and ask that dove, that spirit, to come down, land on them, and we can bring it in. But we must reach out actively and not be passive about it. Well, based on that documented history, that proof noted in Exodus 17, God was with Joshua from the beginning. There would be no doubt that God already gave him all that territory that his feet would eventually touch. With the Holy Spirit, we too can attain this abundance of victory. We do not need to settle for 10% when he wants to give us all of it. Let us reach out, like Noah, and ask the Lord to give us his Holy Spirit so that we can move forward with that boldness and be his witnesses to the ends of the world. I pray that the Holy Spirit guides you in an area of your life where these aspects and concepts can apply and transform your life. Be more than just a hearer of God's Word. Be a doer of God's Word as well. Share what you have learned and always be ready to share God's message of salvation through His Son, Jesus, with people. Thanks again for joining me here at the Carpenters Union. If you feel that these teachings would bless others, feel free to forward these podcast teachings along to them. So until next time, may his face shine upon you 
may he be gracious unto you.